Welcome to the legacy teachings of Bill Anzavino, pastor of Christian Assembly Church since 1979. Though these teachings are decades old, we invite you to get out your Bible, take notes, and get ready to receive the uncompromised teaching of God's Word. For more information about Christian Assembly Church, please visit us online at cafamily.net. If you can remember, we were discussing the subject of divine healing. And uh, our first, I, I do believe, five lessons. I may be mistaken, but I think it's five lessons. We, we were talking about power and uh, the ministry of faith and power. The last lesson I neglected to share with you, you might want to do this yourself. It, it, in the series, it's number six. But uh, the title of it also is Divine Healing, but you might want to footnote that underneath developing your faith. See, we talked somewhat about power. We'll be talking more about power, but we wanted to give a balance here of faith and power. And so you might want to put this as number two, developing your faith. Divine healing, developing your faith. See, it's, it's, it's more than just power. It's faith and power. It's the work of faith and power. And uh, we want to discuss uh, how to develop our faith. It takes both. It takes faith and power. Well, Let's open our Bibles to 2 Timothy 2.15. I think it's very needful for us to develop good study habits. Sometimes what we do is just open up the Bible and wherever, wherever it opens up and we just begin to read and say, well, bless God, wasn't that good? And we don't really get an understanding as to how to study the Bible. I know faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. But I don't know if you were like I was when I was in school. I had a very difficult time learning how to study. I did. I really did. And, you know, if you don't know how to study, part, you know, partly you're defeated right there, right off the bat. And I think that it's just a matter of uh, some folks just never been taught how to study the Bible. Well, you say, what makes you say that? Well, just by hearing people say, well, you know, I wish I knew how to study the Bible. I just opened up, where am I supposed to begin? It's so thick. It's so big. There's so many books. What do I start? What do I turn to? Which way do I go? You know, and they get confused and they don't know where to begin. So what they do, they just close the Bible and set it down and go listen to somebody else preach or teach. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with hearing somebody else preach or teach because God sent into the church ministry gifts. And we're supposed to learn from one another. But learning from one another is not supposed to take the place of God by His Spirit teaching us. So that we can develop our faith in him and not our faith in somebody else. He doesn't want you to develop faith in me. He wants you to develop faith in him through his word. Amen. Praise God. So over here, notice that he's writing to Timothy. And I figured if it's good for a preacher to study, then it's got to be good for me. Amen. Of course, this was before I was a preacher. You know, then when you become a preacher, you say, well, all the more. That's what it means for me. Second <laughs> Timothy 2.15. Study to show yourself approved unto God. A workman that needeth not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Rightly dividing the word of truth. You mark this down. You want to rightly divide the word on any given subject. Now, the Bible says how we do that is by the mouth of two or three witnesses. You know, sometimes I think people are looking just for certain isolated passages of Scripture to refute a great Bible doctrine. You take the subject of divine healing. 
they look to the Bible to find somebody where there is a little bit of an inference that they might not have gotten healed. And so what they do is build a doctrine around that and say, see, divine healing is not for everybody. But that's not true. If you will take the main scriptures concerning the subject of divine healing, you have to say beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's the will of God to heal everybody that comes to him. It's God's will. So you don't base your study of God's word on a few isolated cases that may be hard to understand or you may not have the answer. You base your study of God's word on that which clearly states the will of God. Because Jesus said, I came not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And so when I look to Jesus, who is the will of the Father in motion, I find out that he healed all those that came by faith to him and set them free. Right? And said himself took our infirmities and bare our sicknesses. So I put together these two or three witnesses and I find out that it's God's will to heal all his people. But that's not just for the subject of divine healing. That's for any subject of the Bible. You can be safe that you can rightly divide the word of truth if you will follow this. Not only follow this, but there's something else I want you to follow. I gave this to you during the seminar. I will reiterate some of these points. Number one, this is very important that we know these certain things about the Bible in our own spirit. Not because you heard me say it. Not because you heard someone say it on a tape. Or because you went to another service somewhere and heard the fellow say it. That does not make it part of you. It only becomes a part of you when the word, that word that's in the Bible is actually birthed inside your spirit through meditation of God's Word and quickening of the Holy Ghost. That's when it becomes a part of you. Not because you heard me say it or heard somebody else say it. That doesn't mean it's part of you yet. You see, that's why it's important you study it out for yourself. Okay. Really, uh, you know, just discussing, I was discussing with Brother Chuck today. Actually, a, a minister can't really go over everything that's needful all the time for people to be growing into the fullness of Christ and learning about every subject of the Bible. Because if you think about it, every time you have new people coming to the church, do I have to go back and teach the blood covenant again? Do I have to go back and teach prayer again? Do I have to go back and teach healing again? Do I have to go back and teach the new birth again? Do I have to go back and teach the book of Revelation, something on that, the rapture of the church? And Before you know it, just by the time you got done doing one subject, you've got to go back for those that just came in and didn't hear it. You're out there preaching faith for about six months and someone else gets born again, comes into the church. Another one gets born again, comes into the church. Now you're on another subject, but they didn't hear anything about faith. See, you've got to study for yourself. You've got to get this word for yourself. I didn't learn this by going to church. I'll tell you what, I learned it in my closet. I learned how to walk by faith by getting into the Bible, to the word of God for myself. Not hearing somebody else do it. Okay, number one, it's very important that you understand God's initial will in creation. You must understand this. God's initial will in creation, God does not change. The Father's will has not changed. What He willed from the beginning, He wills now. It's only uh, understandable that He had to go through certain ways and mean, a means whereby he can get to man so that he can fulfill his will because man got it all messed up. So, number one, you find out what God's will is and was 
from the very beginning when he created man. Well, if you just take it in the area of divine healing, the subject of divine healing, was there any sickness or disease in Adam when he was born? Or created, rather. No. Was it God's will he be healthy? Certainly. Was he subject to death? No. Death did not enter into the world. There was no death in the world. Well, is that the will of God? Well, if he made it that way, wasn't that his will? You better believe it was his will. It was his will. That man, you know, not be subject to death or sickness or disease or sin. Let's, let's just put this down right now off the bat. If there was no sin, there would have been no death. There would have been no sickness or disease. So to say that it was God's will that man be sick is to say that it was God's will that man sin. And to say that it's God's will that man sin tells me that you don't know your God. He hates sin. He doesn't want man to be involved in sin. Now your scriptural reference is Romans 5.12. By one man's disobedience, sin entered into the world and death by sin. It doesn't say God created sin. It didn't say because of God's will, death, sin entered into the world and death by sin. And all sickness and diseases is death in operation in man. Death in his spirit operating in the body is called sickness and disease. So if there was no sin, there'd be no sickness nor disease nor death. So we have to understand that. And if you don't understand that, you won't understand divine healing. But when you understand that, and you realize where it comes from, and you know how it came into existence, then you can know how to handle it and how to deal with it. All right, number one. What was God's initial will in the beginning? Number two. Man's will. Man's will. Okay, God did not stop man from choosing. He made him a free moral agent. He can choose as he pleased. He gave him a choice and all who made him. He chose to follow the influence of Satan. Of course, we know that he did wrong. But we need to know what happened when man submitted or subjected himself to the will of the devil. What happened in the earth and what took place in his spirit, soul, and in his body. And also in all the universe that God created. Was it God's will that the universe be turned upside down as it was? Was it God's will that man be this, you know, subject to sin, death, sickness, disease, and all the calamities that come our way right now, all the catastrophes that happen in the earth? No. A thousand times no. That was not the will of God. As a matter of fact, the Bible says, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world, man did not enter into the perfect rest of God. All he had to do, beloved, was take one step into the rest of God and say, that is it. Hallelujah. But he wanted to do something by himself. It's called works. He didn't step into God's works. He wanted to do his own works. Thinking that he might become greater than God. As you know, Satan thought he could. Okay, so you find out then by man, man's will, by choosing to sin, by being misled by the devil and openly sinning against God, Sin came into the world, death came into the world, and sickness and disease came into the world. That's how they got here. Now, thirdly, we need to understand this in any subject of the Bible. And you'll go back to the beginning and you'll find out exactly how God intended it to be. And you'll find out how man rebelled and because of his own will, how everything has come to be as it is today. But thirdly, is the will of God through Jesus Christ. We're dealing with wills now. The will of God through Jesus Christ.
God's will through Jesus Christ. No, God wasn't finished in the earth. I think we better understand this right now. If, if we think of God as most people think of God, they think that He's up there, you know, He's cruel, He's mad at them, He's upset with them, and He doesn't love them, and so on and so forth. Beloved, if God didn't love us, and if God didn't want us to partake of all His goodness, all He had to do was turn His back on us and just not send Jesus to die for us, and we would have been living as children of the devil for eternity. That's all He had to do. He's not devised this plan so that He can come down here and beat you over the head. He's not devised this great plan of salvation so He can zap you with some sickness or disease. No, man's already brought that upon himself. Everything that God is doing for you and me, the Heavenly Father is bringing out good gifts to us, towards us. Everything that He's doing in the earth is designed to show His love for us. That's what He's doing for us. Everything that's, that evolves around the plan of redemption is the love of God towards you. God's showing His love towards you and towards me. And so when you start to get that and understand that in your thinking, we need to implant these things not only into our spirits but into our minds that the Father's way is the way of righteousness, truth, life abundantly, love, healing, and etc. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. And there's no variableness and there's no shadow of turning. That's what He's doing for you now. And He started doing it way back when He said to the, said to the Son, Would you go and redeem my people back for me? And Jesus said, Yes, I will. By the Word said, Yes, I will. Okay. Okay, now what did take place? Well, if you're studying the Bible and the subject of divine healing, you'll find out that this should be a day of rejoicing. It should be a day of jubilee. You study the Old Testament and you'll find out that um, God said something back there. The Father said something to His people back then and He said that if you'll obey Me and keep My covenant, I will take sickness and disease away from the midst of you. Alright? That was His covenant that He made with them. He was working it out so that he can protect them from it. And they weren't, they weren't even children of God in the sense that they were born again. They were only his chosen people. Now that's what he was going to do for them. What has he done through Jesus Christ? Is it just a way or a means whereby he's going to give them some new way to live by? Is it something that's just a little bit better than the law that he wrote and said, Don't do this and thou shalt not do that? Is that what he put all his energies into to come to this world, to send his son to the world, to die for us, to, to save us, to deliver us, to set us free, just so that we can have something a little bit better than what they had under the old covenant? No. No. The Bible says we have a better covenant established upon better promises. What is better than taking sickness and disease away from the midst of them? Because that covenant said, I'll take it away. What is better than that? What is better than taking sickness and disease away from the midst of you? To give you the tree of life, to give to you rivers of living water, and already have put it on Jesus and removed it from us, and put within our spirits healing life itself. And says, you become part of me, and I don't get sick. A thousand times better, a million times better. We're not living under an old covenant, but we are living under a better covenant, established upon a better promise than... I'll take sickness and disease away from the midst of you if you'll hearken unto my voice. Everybody goes back and quotes that scripture and says, Isn't this marvelous what God is going to do for His people? He's going to take it away from the midst of us. We don't live back there. I always say this, He took it away from me in Jesus. 
He took it away already, past tense. And He's given unto me His life. And the Scripture says that if the same Spirit that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, then He that raised up Jesus from the dead shall quicken your mortal body by that Spirit that's in you. I've given you of my Spirit, He's saying, so that you can draw from the healing that's already in you. And walk in perpetual health. Think about that. That's what's better than, I'll take it away from the midst of you. I'll pour my life through you and just let it just pour out into your flesh and just automatically heal you. See, we've got to look at it from this standpoint. We're living in a time that we are not the sick trying to be healed, but we are the delivered and set free. And there's a thief out there trying to rob your blessing of healing away from you. Trying to steal it from you. Trying to take away your health from you. And he has no right to do it. They couldn't say that back then because, you see, they weren't born again people. But bless God, you and I are. Okay. Now, the last thing that I think we need to know. Number one was God's will in the beginning. Number two, Satan imposing his will through man and the effect it had on the earth. Now, I just summarized it at first. You just go ahead and if you want to write it out, you may or just get a tape. Number three, well, tapes, you know, are helpful. Amen. <laughs> Praise God. Number three, we have got to know what took place when Jesus died. Now, you see, if we lived before the cross, we couldn't say that. Let me answer a question I think that's in the hearts of a lot of people. They look back before Calvary and they hear about all these people in Hebrews, you know, chapter 11, when they talk about those that did not obtain the promise, did not obtain the promise. They say, well, how about these great men of faith did not obtain the promise? You can't obtain something that hasn't come yet. How can you obtain something that's not here? Jesus didn't come yet. They say, why do we live in such a great, great generation that people keep saying, bless God, you live in a great generation. He's come. Now I can receive all that he stands for. They had a promissory note on what he would bring. But bless God, he has come. He's done his work. He's finished the work of the Father. And you and I, we are having the victory. The battle's already been won. The battle wasn't won yet. Back in their covenant. You see, back in their covenant, he still had to come and win the battle. But bless God, the battle's been won for you and me. See that? We're not living back there. We're living right here and right now in a better covenant. Okay, this is already established. What did God establish through Jesus Christ? Is it so or is it not? Yes, it is. You take your scriptures that pertain to healing and redemption through Jesus Christ and you'll find out that he provided for us perfect health. What's better than taking it away from the midst of him? He took it from us. It's done. See, it's already done. And fourthly, and this is very important, well, this is the vital aspect of it. It's the reality of it. How do I enforce the will of God in my life? Okay? The Supreme Court had their meeting. They've set certain laws to govern the land. And uh, it's already passed by the Senate and, and everybody's okayed it. And it's, it's put into existence right now. And this is a law of the land of the United States of America. Okay? It says you're not going to rob gas stations and get away with it. You can't steal so, everybody goes out at night, and, you know, they begin to laugh and really see if these people mean business with this here law. They just go off and start robbing gas stations. Well, it's a reality. It's been passed by the Supreme Court. It says that thieves, if they want to be thieves, are not allowed to rob this or that or whatever. There are laws that stop people from doing things like that. But they go out there and do it anyhow. What good is that law if there's nobody to enforce it? What good is that law if someone goes out there and does it anyhow and gets away with it? It's no good. 
I want you to hear something. What good is Calvary if somebody doesn't enforce it? What good is the precious blood of Jesus if that man goes to hell? In his life, it meant nothing. Is that how we esteem our Lord? No. He, everything he did on Calvary is to be enforced by you and by me. So that's thief. That murderer, that lying devil, when he goes out there and tries to rob, to steal, to cheat, and to destroy the things that Jesus did for you, you become the enforcer. You become the one to take the kingdom by force. Now, the, remember the scripture that says that the, the violent take it by force? Okay, the fourth step there is enforcing the will of God. The word take means to seize. Take it by force. It means to seize. The word seize means to possess by to possess by force. To possess something by force. To take a possession by force. Alright? So to take, we take it by force. We seize it by force. We take a possession to ourselves by force. If you think that divine healing is going to fall out of the sky upon you, you're mistaken. If you think like a lot of people think, I'm just going to go and find somebody that's going to pray the prayer of faith for me and I'm going to get my healing. You're mistaken. You're wrong. You may get that once in a while, but I'll tell you what. You try to do it three or four or five times and you're going to find out that it's not going to happen until you get yourself in the Word of God and you begin to enforce it. You become the enforcer and you put the devil in his place and put him in jail. That's how it works. We have got to learn how to enforce what God has done or all that he has done becomes of no avail to you and to me. No good. It doesn't benefit us. It doesn't profit us anything. The word did not profit them not being mixed with faith. And when we don't mix faith with all that God has done for us, I don't care how much he's done for us, it cannot be enforced in our lives. People are talking about this, this judicial system that we have today. You talk about the courts. They're packed with these you know, people that are robbing and stealing and cheating. And you know what they do? Even though they have the law, they let them go. We have no place to put them. What are we going to do with them? Lawyers go in there and get them off scot-free. I don't want Satan's little demons getting, you know, involved in my life and working things out in my life so that all that Jesus has done for me becomes ineffective by getting me to start to thinking his way and, and instead of me putting him in prison, he puts me in prison. Listen to me. The Father doesn't want his people in prison. Listen to me. Jesus took the key and unlocked the doors. He let their bands loosed. He set the captives free. They don't have to be bound by Satan any longer. And who the Son of Man has set free is free indeed. And if you're going to understand how to be free from sickness and disease, there's going to be one way to do it. Jesus said, if you continue in my word, then are you my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. To be free from sickness and disease is to know the truth about divine healing in the word of God. And the truth about where sickness and disease came from. It'll set you free. Okay, now, it's very important, number one. You've got all these four steps now. That's for studying any subject of the Bible. You need to understand this. You need to understand it and you need to begin to do it. Find out these steps. I'm not just saying that to give you a little guideline to write down. I'm telling you that you've got to get and find out. Even though I told you what God's will was, that's not all you need to know about it. Go to the beginning, see how God created the universe, the earth, and created man. See what 
position he put man in, see how he highly esteemed man above all the, his creation and gave him to be dominion, have dominion over all the works of his hands and find out what his responsibility was, find out what God willed for man in the beginning and let that become a part of you and say, yes, this is what he's done for me. Then you find out how that old, I'll tell you what it'll do. When you find out how the devil got in there to take away all that God created for you and for me, when you find out he's the one that's making you get up 6 o'clock in the morning just to go to work, he's the one, or you would have just, just, you know, ate off the fruit of the land. You find out that he's the one that's causing you to do all that ironing. You wouldn't have to have any clothes if it wasn't for him. It'll make you get some holy tear after the devil. I, I believe that he meant you've got to be violent. Violent, not with each other. Violent with the things of the devil. Violent with sin. Violent with sickness and disease. If you're just going to be out there and be a little pussycat, it's not going to work. You've got to take a hold of the line of the tribe of Judah and you've got to put that old dummy to flight. That's just the way it works. You ready for a fight? You're in a warfare. I'm going to tell you something right now. You may not know it, but you're in a warfare and you've got an adversary arrayed against you that does not like you. To say the least, he despises you. You are the only thing in the earth, in the realm where Satan has to rule and to reign. You are the only one in the earth that looks like God. And God has already defeated him. Jesus has brought him to naught. He can't stand God. He, he defies all the things that God stands for. And here you are in a realm where he can get a hold of you. And if you let him, he'll destroy you. But when you get furious, infuriated about the things of Satan, when you look at sickness and disease as it right, really is an enemy of man, right. and you can't stand to see that baby any longer suffering with that sickness and that disease, you can't stand to see that person any longer, you know, bound up by all this garbage that he puts upon the human body. This human body is the temple of the living God. He created it in his own image and likeness, and God, uh, God the devil rather, wants to distort it. God wants you to be set free. Amen. Jesus defied any, the devil. Every time he came up to somebody that was sick and diseased and tormented, he stood there, he looked at the people, and he said, I'm moved with compassion. He couldn't stand it. I remember walking in Cleveland Clinic one day. You know, and I, I'd never been up there before. I walked in there, some of the bad cases go up there. I walked in and I saw this little girl. She was about 12 years old, 13 years old, something like that around there. And uh, someone had asked me to go up there and to pray for her. And I said, well, certainly. And I didn't know. You know, they, they, you describe something, but you can't really, you know, see what it's like until you get there and see that person. That little girl, her tongue was swollen about ten times. Her face had a growth on it that was so huge, distorted. They had to cut her tongue out, some of her part, half her tongue out, and they wanted to get in to, to, to operate on this growth, this massive growth. I mean, it was the ungodliest thing you ever saw. And they wanted to get in it, but they says it, it is so entangled in all the, you know, everything she needs to, to live. We'd have to cut out all the good parts to take out the bad parts, and they couldn't do it. And I looked at that little girl's face, and I took my heart, melted within me, the compassion that rose up within me for that child. I says, I'll tell you what. I'm going to learn all I can about the subject of divine healing. And I mean this with all my heart. I can't stand it. I hate it. I hate sickness. I hate disease. 
I hate to see little girls like that. I hate to see people bound up by the devil. I hate to see Satan manifesting uh, himself in the people's bodies. It was, they couldn't even describe, they had no word for it. This is how gross it was. They had no word for it. They said, we don't know what it is. Never saw anything like it. But of course, their only way is, what do they know? Cut it out. You know, cut it out. But see, that's not healing. Cutting off someone's tongue and cutting out parts of their body, that's not healing. I believe that we can get into the study of God's Word in such a great depth that we can put a stop to it. If not to the whole world, we can put a stop right here to this community in our lives. In our lives. You mark this down as the two most vital subjects of the Bible. Now, love is involved in both of them, okay? When I say this, I'm talking about what Calvary stands for. Sure, it stands for love, but I'm talking about a manifestation of that love. It's in two places. Number one, in the spirit of man. To free him from sin. You mark this down that you better study how to be free from sin. You are free from sin. Study to keep free from sin. Alright? Now listen. He went to Calvary for what purpose? God hath made him to be sin for us that we might be righteous. He took away our sin, 1 Peter 2.24 says, in his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sin, number one, you study to keep yourself dead from sin. Okay, number two. What does Calvary stand for? Number two. To set man free from sickness in his body. He bore our sins. He bore our sickness. What does Calvary stand for? It's the twofold act of redemption. He's not concerned only about your spirit. He's concerned about every part of your body. It's precious in the sight of our Father God. And as I saw that girl just... Being tormented, it was. It was. I prayed for her, and God did a work. He did a work in her life. I tell you, I'll, I'll tell you what kind of work He did. See, part of it was already done. I mean, her cut, her tongue was already cut out, but they had some kind of things to do. But I, I found out a year later that uh, she couldn't eat, she couldn't do anything. They had to feed her intravenously. They, she couldn't even chew. She couldn't put things in her mouth. This thing was gross. That uh, within a year later, she was eating a Big Mac. <laughs> Praise God. Amen. It takes a little bit of opening your mouth to eat a Big Mac, so you, you know. But, but she's, that's still not God's best. God's best is that something like that doesn't happen to somebody. You understand what I'm saying? And we want to learn. I don't want to be somebody that's just waiting around for somebody to come along who maybe has the power of God to get me healed. That's not what the Word teaches us. We're learning about the Word that we can be more of that somebody in the earth to get somebody else delivered from this ungodly thing. And that's why the Lord put upon my heart to teach this class. I can't stand it. I'll say it again. I can't stand it. You say, well, there's still, you know, a lot of people that need to be healed. You're right, and we're working on it. That's God. Amen? And I'm not stopping. Two reasons why He died for us. To deliver us from sin. To deliver us from sickness. Destroy the works of the devil in His man. And we're, if we're going to do anything in this earth, let's just fulfill what He did in other men's lives. Deliver them from sin and deliver them from sickness. Amen? Okay, well, I said number one. Now, write it down. It's the will of God to heal us. It is the will of God to heal us and to keep us in perpetual health. It is the will of God to heal us. This is the very first thing you should know about the subject of divine healing. And don't go off and say, I heard that before. I heard Brother So-and-So preach it. I don't care if you heard a thousand people preach it until you get it inside you. It won't do you a bit of good. I mean that. 
So I'm just laying it out here for you. This is going to do two things. It's going to produce faith in your heart and it's going to produce an atmosphere of healing. Healing power. Saturating this place with God's healing power. Okay. It is the will of God to heal us, every one of us, and to keep us in divine health. That is His will. You say, how do you know that? Or why do I need to know this? I, I believe that Brother F.F. F. Bosworth said it better than anybody I ever heard say it. So I'm going to quote him. I'm going to read it to you. I'm going to quote it to you from his book, Christ the Healer. And if you don't have that book, you better get it. And you better read it and you better study it. Because it's very important. See, people are wanting to study all these different subjects of the Bible. And they put all their life and all their energy into studying these things. And that's why there are so many bound up by the devil. That's why every time you turn around, somebody's calling you. They're, they're, they're bound up. They need to be delivered. They need to be set free. They're having problems in their family. They're having problems in their body. Their, their physical body, I'm saying. Their marriage is falling apart. Their families are falling apart. Their finances are falling apart. You know why? Because they want to study something that doesn't pertain to their own generation or their own age. I don't know about you, but I saw that when Jesus came here, He was setting men free. He came to heal, He came to save, to heal, deliver, and set free. He came to put His foot on the neck of the devil and keep them under there. Amen. And He kept every one of His disciples except for the one that left them. And that is what you should be studying in the Bible. If He can get you off on these other tangents... Study this and study that and study this and study that. I thank God. It's a big book and praise God. I'm not saying or trying to discourage you from studying these other things. I say you put 90% of your energies into studying how to put your foot on the devil's neck and keep him under your foot and to be free from sin, free from sickness, and then go off and get somebody else delivered and set them free. That's what he wants us to do. You know, well, so-and-so called and, and, and you know, what are we going to do? Well, I bless we could just pray. And there they are. I mean, that's all we can do. Yeah, we can't do anything else. Oh, isn't sucks? Isn't something better than prayer? Getting God on the scene isn't good enough, is it? No. That's not what God wants. We should be able to get to a place that one way or another we can get that person to deliverance. Now, we could bring him the word, take him the word, but we should always be ready and available to get people free. And if we're studying the right subject of the Bible, then we're going to be ready to do it. Whenever they have a need. And I say this not only to you, I say this to myself. And I am totally consecrated to doing more and more and more as time permits me to get in a more, to getting other people delivered and set free from this ungodly thing called sickness and disease. Here's what he said. Before anyone can have a steadfast faith for the healing of their body, they must be rid of all uncertainty concerning God's will in the matter. Appropriating faith cannot go beyond one's knowledge of the revealed will of God. In other words, until we know what God's will is, there's nothing to base our faith on. Until we know what God's will is, we have nothing to base our faith on. The Word is the will of God and the Word is the seed of divine life. The Word contains the will of God and the Word contains the seed. It is the seed of divine life. Now, I don't know what that means to you, but when I began to realize that the Word is the seed of divine life, it's the seed, and God's Word contains life. Jesus said, my words are spirit and they are life. He said in Mark 4, the Word is the seed. The seed is the Word. Okay? Then it shows me that the Word of any subject of the Bible... 
And we don't have a thousand and one subjects like I, I think some of us want to realize that we should be, be involved in. I believe if we could just study the subject of love and faith and find out all what these two things mean, that we could just walk like Jesus walked in the earth. To really walk in His love and really to walk by faith. There would be no mountain in your way, adversity that could come against you and, and overtake you. We should be able to walk that way. And He wants us to. But I began to realize that that seed has got to grow inside me. It contains life. It contains the God kind of life. If it is planted within my spirit, if it saturates my mind, if I water it with the Word in thanksgiving, if I allow the Spirit of God to take that impregnated Word inside me, it is, He gives birth to it inside me, then that becomes a part of me. That Word does. Then God is mightily manifesting Himself in me and he is developed, being developed within me, unchanging day by day. You see, the Spirit of God changes us into this glory day by day. But it's a seed. It's the seed that works within. This is a teaching that Jesus gave to people that they should understand it. I don't know why they don't. But it seems like as though people want to reap a harvest where they have planted no seed. They want to get out there and reap their tomatoes when they have planted no seed. They want to reap their corn where they have planted no seed. It's understandable. If the farmer stands out and looks over his acreage and says, I'm going to believe God for a wonderful, bountiful harvest. And he sits back and says, Dear, it's been three months now. And bless God, I believe God for a wonderful, bountiful harvest. What do you think I ought to do with these seeds? And what she'd say to him? Don't you know anything? Don't you realize that you can believe God all you want, but if you don't put the seed into the ground, it's not going to do any work? It's not going to produce any fruit? You're not going to have any harvest? But everybody comes and they want to have prayer. Everybody when it comes, they want to be delivered. They want to be healed. They want to be set free. But what, what do they come with? Nothing. No seed. Now hear me when I say this. You say, but I thought, man, you know, you could just come at any time. Listen to me. When a person comes that's just born again and has no faith for himself, you can get him healed 99% of the time. When a baby comes and maybe just knows a little bit, you can agree with him and get him healed 99% of the time. But when a full gospel, tongue-talking, love supposedly walking, spirit-filled, living epistle of the living Christ comes and wanders and doesn't know whether it's God's will to heal them, You've got your hands full. There's no seed of life. You are required by God to put the seed inside you. Had you known it, bless God, it would have been growing in you all the time to keep you free from it. But that's how it works. Now, why people don't want to understand it or realize that when Jesus clearly taught it in Mark 4, it's beyond me. He says, this is how it works. This is how the kingdom works. It works out of the heart of man. Now, if you put some seed inside there, what are you going to get? You're going to reap a harvest. But he told you exactly how to do it. And I think we should know this. I think we should understand this. In, in Matthew, you don't have to look these up. In Matthew 13, we just mark them down. He said, you have got to understand the word. In Mark 4, he said, you have got to receive the word. In Luke 8, he said, you have got to protect or keep the word in your heart with patience to produce 30, 60, and 100 fold. In other words, what is he talking about? Well, we used to think, and I used to think this, and, and I think there's a really a long double reference here. I used to think that, well, 30, 60, 100 fold of, of, you know, 
these certain things, you know, uh, in this realm. In the realm of uh, finances, I'm producing 30-fold, 60-fold. In the realm of healing, I'm producing 30-fold, 60-fold. But I've been quickened in my spirit to realize that what he's saying is this. The seed contains the life of God. When I put the life of God by that seed into me, no matter what the area might be, I'm not just producing 30-fold of healing. I am producing 30-fold of God. 60-fold of God. 100-fold of God in that area. In other words, what makes Him heal is being developed in me and growing in me from 30, 60, and 100-fold. What makes a man be prosperous is developed in me and growing in me. That means God is growing in me 30, 60, and then ultimately 100-fold. That's the divine life that's growing in you. That's why he said when it, when it comes to full harvest time, he sees that it's ripening and he puts in the sickle and he, and he reaps the harvest. What do you think he's talking about? He's talking about that fellow down there who's lived for 70 odd years or 80 or 90 odd years on the earth and he's now a ripened Christian. He's now a mature Christian manifesting the life of God to the fullness and he's ready to be chopped off out of this earth and go back home. That's what he's talking about. You see what I'm saying? Now it's time that we, you know, start to realize that we can develop like this. We can grow this way. Now, we said the seed, or the word is the seed, it contains the divine life. Now, if you're not sure from God's word that it's His will to heal you, and you don't know that, just liken it unto a farmer trying to plant or trying to get a harvest or he's planted no seed. Now, liken it unto that. Here we are trying to reap blessing after blessing after blessing after blessing here at the altar, but they have planted no seed. And without the seed, there won't be any harvest. You get what I'm saying? You've got to understand this if you're going to understand divine healing or any subject of the Bible. If it's not planted into your heart with the Word of God, do you realize how these people came? As a matter of fact, let me give you a scripture to show you something. People think that, that Jesus didn't teach these people, but let me show you something. Mark 6. I'm going to show you. I'm going to just go off on a tangent here if you don't mind. I know you don't mind. Hallelujah. Mark 6, 34. Amanda. Well, we're just flying right by here, aren't we? Hallelujah. Seems like you just start a subject and you can, you, can, you, you know. Maybe it's because I haven't preached for a while. Look out. <laughs> Praise God. Mark 6.34. Now let me ask you this question. Is it ridiculous for a farmer to think that he can reap a harvest if he planted no seed? Unless he's had a word from God that the angels are out there doing it. You know. I'm talking about standard rule. Okay? Not only is it ridiculous, I'll say this. It's impossible. Right? You know, we don't work by probabilities in this realm. We realize and know that if a man plants seed and the seed is good seed, that it's going to grow and produce a harvest. I mean, there's no question about it. We understand that. We know that. But it seems like when we get off to this realm and get into the spirit realm, we don't expect things to work that way. That's why people get on the faith message so much. Because the faith message is really scientifically proving that God is efficient. And He has rules, laws, and regulations. 
And His Word is not just something that's just out there. And prayer isn't something that you just say and hope that comes to pass. But it can be appropriated in one's life to produce an answer every time you pray. And when you say that, you go, oh. But there are things that stop it from happening. And we're going to save that for Sunday when we get into prayer. And we need to understand what stops it from happening. We need to know what makes it happen and causes it to happen. And we need to know what stops it from happening. We need to know what stops growth in a Christian's life. And we need to know what promotes growth in a Christian's life. Amen? Amen. Look at what Jesus did here. 34. And Jesus, when He came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion toward them because they were as sheep, not having a shepherd, and began to teach them many things. I'd like to take those two many things, those two words, many things, and sit down and say, Okay, Lord, I know what you revealed here. And I know that what you taught them couldn't have been any different than what you taught us. Because the Bible says that when Paul had his revelation, it was the mystery that was hidden from the foundation of the world. But I know that the many things you taught them, they couldn't grab a hold of because they were spiritual truths. That you were conveying in a natural way. And they couldn't grasp it. They couldn't realize what you were saying. I happen to believe that those many things he taught them was found in Mark 4. He went over and over and over again. Mark 11. You know who taught Mark 11, 23? Lo and behold, it wasn't Kenneth Hagin, but it was Jesus of Nazareth that taught it. Yeah. They say, you take isolated scriptures and you make a doctrine out of it. Jesus did it. Who, who spoke those words in Mark 11, 23 and 24? I'm going to give you something else that the Master said. He says, In all things whatsoever you shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. And I said that one day, and he said, Well, you're just taking what Jesus said out of context. I said, Brother, put it in context. What does it say? It says, You shall, anything you shall ask in prayer believing, you shall receive. I happen to believe that Jesus knew full well what he was talking about. Do you? Jesus said in Mark 11, 23, Whatever you desire, just believe in the heart and you receive it, and you shall have it. You shall have what you say. That's, in essence, what he said. Right? Think about that. I didn't write that. Kenneth Hagin didn't write that. We're just quoting Jesus. That's what he said. That's what he meant. And if he said it meant it, then it's for you and for me. He taught them these things. Many things he taught them. I believe there's a lot of things he taught them that's not recorded right there, but it's recorded after by the Holy Spirit. You know? But everything is going to go back to these fundamental principles. Well... He taught them many things. These are some of the many things. Let me say this before we close here. Where does time go? Hallelujah. Aren't you going to let me know time in heaven? Hallelujah. Uh, we could rejoice and praise God without being bound to time. For each person to know that it's God's will to heal them is the seed planted in their spirit and in their heart. For each person to know that it's God's will to heal them. Now, do I have time, brother, to give a short testimony? I don't believe... That when Brother Wright was here. Because I want to show you. See, sometimes you don't get to some of these nuggets of truth. You know, and I just thank God for the, for the opportunity to sit down and talk about some of these things. See, I talk about some of these things from a different standpoint than some people do. I'm always digging in and trying to find out how, why. What made that happen? How did that work? I want to know. And someone else says, wasn't that a wonderful testimony, Brother? Yes, it certainly was. But how did it happen? I want to know how it happened. Because if it happened for her, it happened for me. Right? So that's what, when I ask questions, I ask with that thought in mind. Or, if it didn't happen, I want to find out just why it didn't happen. I want to see here, you know, what took place. 
Well, I don't believe he gave this. If he did, I'll just reiterate it again. I wanted to read it to you, but time won't allow me. This is too long to read. Uh, from John Alexander Dowie, I'm, I'm sure some of you have heard of him. He left me, well, I made a copy of this. It's called Leaves of Healing. And he had uh, m uh, many of these magazines with many marvelous testimonies of divine healing. I want to show you what makes it work. I'm going to show you how we have even gone to a grown in a place in God through His Word where we have more revelation than even they had back then. You say, how can you say such a thing? Because God is revealing things by Spirit in this day. Amen? And we're grabbing a hold of it. Amen? Okay. Now, in this writing, and this is from 1901, but the event that took place was that happened in August of 1900. It's concerning Mrs. Jenny Lake, who is who was the first wife of the Reverend John G. Lake. And uh, I got all the details about how this took place and how it happened because it's a marvelous testimony. I think it's one of the most powerful testimonies I've ever heard concerning faith. But how they, have a, they applied faith and how we know it in the way that we know it without knowing it by, let's say, the written word, but still acted it out by making this consecration to God. When she went to visit one of her fellow neighbors that was sick, uh, she went to the bedside and she wanted to minister. And on the nightstand, they had a revolver. And their, her four-year-old little boy went over to the nightstand, who, was not, who did not even know what a real gun was. I mean, he played with toy guns, but not a real gun. And took that revolver and shot Mrs. Lake in the back. Shot her right in the back. And it almost came out of her. It didn't. It stopped here. You can feel the bullet in the front. It just missed her spine. Well, when this take, took place, what I want to know in your life... Now, hear me. I'm not saying this to... I'm saying this to be very... I want to teach you. And to be very, very to the point. Very much to the point. About what we are facing. And about what you can expect to face. And how, how diligent you should be. We're not playing games with God. God's not playing games with us. We're putting it all on the table. This is the way it is. This is how you have success. What would you have done? You say what you would have done. At that moment when you were shot. And collapsed to the floor. Put your hand on your back. Realize you were shot when you saw all the blood. What would you have done? You know what she said? She said... They, they screamed out for a doctor. I am not speaking against the medical field. She said, I don't want a doctor. She prayed. And she said, Lord, stop this bleeding now in the name of Jesus. And immediately it stopped. She felt her strength when she got up going from her. She felt herself fading away. She was nearing death. She said, Lord, don't let me go unconscious in this house because if I do, they'll call a doctor. They were screaming out for the physician. She said, call my husband, the Reverend John G. Lake. He comes, takes her over to his mother's house, bolts the door, says, don't you let one person in this room that is a non-believer. Right, now, you hear these steps. Most people that are, are sickly, with any kind of sickness or disease, half the people that are there ministering to them are non-believers. That are filled, just, just saturating the air with doubt and unbelief. Calling for their death right there. 
But they had enough, she knew and he knew, enough sense to know, keep every, uh, every non-believer out of this room. I don't want a doctor. I don't want the press. I don't want the police. And they were on his case. I mean, they withstood. Those that will live godly. You want to talk about withstanding persecution, my friends? They wanted to throw him in jail so fast. They wanted to persecute him. They wanted to do everything they can do because he, she did not. And he did not call for a doctor. And his wife was in that condition. Well, she's lying there in bed. And uh, by the way, if you, I'm going to see what I can do about getting copies of this. Uh, this is her own written testimony. Others have sent in wrote about it and talked about it and others that were involved there but this is her own personal testimony as to how it happened and uh, she said she passed out on the bed and he was in a room with her and he walked over with all the doors and windows shut not letting anybody else in I mean there was a commotion I mean the whole town was in an uproar everybody knew what was going on but he would not let a soul in the house he called Zion and uh, Brother Dowie said, just start praying. Just start praying. Pull one out and just start praying. Just start. Thank God for those that believe. Thank God for those that believe. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed. They prayed in tongues. They just prayed in tongues constantly. And she was there, lying on that bed unconscious, her life departing from her so as it seemed. And Brother Lake just was singing and whispering the word of God to her. And she said, uh, to put it, like I said, together, I don't want to read the whole thing. She said, I, I just kind of sensed myself leaving and, and, and going out and I began to say something and uh, the Lord said unto her, you are healed and I am the Lord that healeth thee. And she said, I knew I had the victory and I knew I was healed. What the woman did, she said, it's God or die. She says, for me, there's no other way. I'm giving to you. See, we only hear little nit bits. And I don't, think, I don't feel that's really good enough to justify what we believe in. Well, let's look for a man or a woman that's of this stature. But let me tell you something, my friends. I'm not telling you to do something like this. Don't you get for a moment that I'm telling you to do this. I'm just showing you what's behind the scenes. I'm showing you just how consecrated and dedicated they were. They would die rather than go see a physician. I'm showing you what faith they had. He said, there's no way, and she said, there's no way. It's God or die. That's putting him in total trust of your body. Now, the astounding thing about this, and like I said, I can go on and give you the whole thing, but the astounding thing, at midnight she woke up. The pain was gone. There was no more suffering. She was in terrible suffering. And the bullet disintegrated within her body. Disintegrated. Disappeared from her body and she rose up she was partially paralyzed at first they continued to pray in spirit continued to thank the Lord for her healing this is no small thing this ain't somebody falling down and breaking their toe I'm not talking about a little cold or a little flu that's trying to attack your body what would you do we want to see and talk about men and women of faith and let's talk about it and praise God about it. But I want to show you why they had faith because of their consecration and of their dedication to God. And I guarantee you that when you start dedicating yourself to God, you are going to be attacked by the devil with all he's got to keep you. I'll never forget the same thing that happened to my daughter. I realize now why just how important it was that we stand on the word when Lisa fell. 
But you'll have to read the whole testimony to see. It was in a matter of three months that she was totally, completely... And this woman was just a young Christian. Just got baptized in water. She was just a young Christian when this took place. But that was the consecration she had. Another thing about this ministry that impressed me. But I saw it from a different light. I see it now from a different light. I read in the book how Brother Lake went and anointed a pole. And I mean, everybody gets all excited. Boy, he anointed a pole, and all these people had to do is just come to the pole. And they touch the pole, and they'd be healed. And I say, what a what, what a great man of God. Whew, I mean, all you got to do is lay his hands on a pole, and it's saturated with the glory and the power of God. And people come, just touch it, and they're healed because they know the glory of God is there. And the Spirit of God stopped me. You could anoint a chair, you could anoint this, you could... And you know what he said to me? How to anoint a pole, because there was nobody else, no other man to anoint, to anoint. He had to use a pole. Where was Brother Jones? Where was Brother John? Where was this sister? Where was that brother? He could have anointed and said, you help Brother Lake. You lay your hands on the sick. You help Brother Lake. You lay your hands upon the sick. You help Brother Lake. You got the same power. You got the same glory. You got the same anointing. He had to take something that couldn't respond. A pole. Because nobody else was willing to consecrate and dedicate their life. So that he could anoint them. So it went from glory to sadness in my heart. I rejoiced and then I said, Oh Lord. Paul said, There's none other one that wants to serve the Lord like I do. They're all turning their own ways, looking for the things of the earth. Can I find a man that will live like I live, follow Jesus like I follow him? So you begin to see some nuggets of truth. I've got so much to share with you for a long time. But see, I don't look at I don't look at it and say, boy, I wish I lived back in that generation. I don't look for that. You know what I look for? I want to know why and why not. How who, what, where, when, and how. That's what I want to know. So I can say, bless God, I can give it to you and show you and share it with you so we can take what they had and put it in what we got and use both faith and power and become an explosive force for God in this generation right now. Amen? Amen. Well, I believe I done did it. Praise God. But I've got a lot to share with you. Astounding testimony. But the reason why that happened is because of her consecration. Are you hearing me? I didn't tell you not to do anything. Now, don't, don't start going off and getting foolish ideas, okay? I didn't tell you that if you got shot in the back, don't see a doctor. That is not the point. The point is, when they made... How many... I, mean, I can point out people right now that will tell me the truth. The old-timers... The old-timers only went to God. And they said it was God or die. And that's why they walked healthy. Amen? It's a matter of consecration to the principle of God's Word. You see, but if you don't put this out, people will never grasp it. If you don't put this out, they'll never take a hold of it. And they'll keep wandering and going back and forth, back and forth until Jesus comes. Let's attain so that when He comes, we can just join right on in and say, Bless God, we did the works of Jesus like He said we should do. Let's all stand to our feet. Thank you for listening to our Legacy Teachings. We pray today's message has a profound impact upon your life and your ministry. I want you to know that God loves you, has a great plan for your life. But if you've never made Jesus Christ Lord and Savior of your life, I'd like to invite you to do that right now. Just pray this simple prayer right after me. Just say, Heavenly Father, 
I come to you just as I am. And I believe with all my heart that Jesus died for my sins and was raised from the dead for me. I open the door of my heart. I call upon the name of the Lord. Lord Jesus, come into my heart now. I receive you and accept you as my personal Savior and Lord. If you prayed that prayer with me, you're a child of God right now, and I encourage you to get into a good Bible-based church where you can learn to grow in your Christian faith and experience. God bless.